So I've been thinking a lot this week about uh, Justin's message last Sunday. And um, when he challenged us with the message on radical hospitality and that we want to be a church that is marked by radical hospitality. Um, I must confess to you that right out of the gate last Sunday, I failed miserably at that. Um, right after church, we were, a bunch of us were standing outside. I mean, like the lobby was still full. I mean, we were fresh out of church, man. And, uh, we were standing out there and along the sidewalk comes this line of Duke students. Okay. And, uh, there were young men who were pledging for a fraternity at Duke and part of their punishment slash hazing was um, that they have to walk down Franklin Street dressed in like all of the Duke gear they can possibly get on, right? And so they're walking down like single file line, hand on the shoulders of the person in front of them. And as they walk right through, they come right past the door of the church. And just like involuntarily, I say to them, boo! (laughs) Sorry, David Horton. And immediately, uh, it hits me about what Justin just preached on. And I'm like, oh, I mean, I mean, radical hospitality. We love you, strangers. Chapel is for lovers. But go home. Just kidding. All right. Um, I actually got to experience, even though I failed miserably, I got to experience some radical hospitality this week. I was in, out in Oklahoma this week, and... Um, there was a guy there who had tickets to the Kansas basketball game that night, all right, which it was just a short drive from where we were, and um, so we went. Turns out the tickets were for the student section um, there, and so here I am in the middle of the student section at the Kansas basketball game, historic, classic, Fog Allen Fieldhouse, right, and I'm wearing a Carolina blue shirt, <laughs> telling everyone who will listen, hey, I'm from Chapel Hill. You know, and Roy says hello, by the way. Um, Just kidding. (laughs) And so we're there in the middle of that, and they were very gracious, and they really embraced us, and it was a very fun experience. And the guy actually behind us got us on the Jumbotron a couple of times because of the sign that he had. Can you see that? Swag, all right? And there's my face right there. I'm just barely below (laughs) that. All right? There it is. <laughs> yeah. I wanted a picture of that because that will be the only time ever in my life I will be connected in any way with the term swagger. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, there it is. All right. Um, radical hospitality. Justin did a great job of teaching us about that. And today, what we're talking about links in very closely with the idea of radical hospitality is something that is a natural outgrowth of radical hospitality. And it's this idea of courageous generosity. Courageous generosity. So we've been walking through here um, together these ideas, these things that mark us as followers of Christ. Not just because he asks us to do this, but, but because it is natural in our DNA as followers of Christ, as sons and daughters of the Father. That this is who he is. And so he asks us to embrace this as well. And he shapes us and he forms us into his likeness. And the more and more we become like him, the more and more these things are natural expressions out of us. 
These things will mark us, who we are as individuals, who we are as a church, who we are as part of the church around the world. And so this morning, we're talking about this idea of courageous generosity, courageous generosity. Uh, In the book of Mark, in chapter 12, there's a story that happens here um, and uh, where Jesus is in the temple. And um, here's what it says, starting with verse 41 in uh, Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Father, help us as we are challenged by the story of this woman. We know very little about her. But what we catch of her character here is stunning. It is convicting. It is challenging. It critiques the economy that we often live by and believe in and swear allegiance to. It goes against our our sense of of greatness. It goes against our sense of what abundance looks like and, and what scarcity looks like. I pray you would challenge us this morning with this. Let your spirit just be active in here. Pinpoint this in our hearts and, and, and challenge us. In your name we pray. Amen. So This powerful story here of this woman who puts in two small copper coins. And it's the kind of thing that Jesus like stops everything over, calls his disciples over and says, do you see what just happened? It's, it's the kind of thing that would not have been noticed by anybody except in an embarrassing way for this woman. Except in an embarrassing way that somebody might be like, did you just see what she put in the offering? Why does she even bother to put that in there? But Jesus stops everything and says, this is it. This is it. This is what I am looking for. And Jesus does what he always does. He takes the things that that we find so common and he just turns it upside down on us. And he just opens our eyes to see things in a brand new way. And this thing that looks like an example of just absolute scarcity, lack, and poverty, Jesus elevates as an act of courageous generosity. Two small copper coins, it says, worth a fraction of a penny. A fraction of a penny. This is the kind of thing that most of us wouldn't even bother to bend down and pick up off of the sidewalk. But God stops everything to revel in it. And God says, this is it. This is what I'm looking for. 
This is what I'm looking for. Now, as we look at this story, it's like, you know, as far as the benefit to the temple, her gift basically meant nothing. Her gift meant nothing. The system of the temple relied on those people who were pouring in large amounts. But Jesus is not concerned in what her gift means to the temple. Jesus is stunned by what her gift means to her. And he stops everything. And he says, this is it. This is it. And this is the backwards and upside down way that the economy of God's kingdom works. And he elevates this woman that we're, we're talking about her today. What she had to give. I love what it says in the message version. Um, the, a, a poet, Eugene Peterson, he, he says it this way. He captures the essence of what Jesus is trying to say this way. He, he quotes Jesus as saying, all the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. And some translations literally say they take where, where uh, the NIV here says all that she had to live on. Some translations uh, say and capture the idea this way, that she gave her life. She gave her life. And in many ways, that's exactly what is happening. This courageous act, it's the last thing she has to live on, the last hope she is grasping to, and she gives it away. She gives it away. Stunning. A stunning act of courageous generosity. Courageous generosity. Many of us have dreams of what we would do if God would just bless us with wealth, don't we? I, I do. I've already got things earmarked, like special projects earmarked. Oh, man, if, if, if the windfall hits, here's exactly what I'm going to do. I am a philanthropist waiting to happen, you know? God bless me. and Oh, man, I'm going to just, just do all kinds of stuff with it. And we've got these special projects and these special causes that we would just pour into if God would just bless us. But that's not what this story is about. That's not what this story is about. God asks us to give what we have and to give even what we don't have. That is what generosity operates out of. That's what generosity operates out of, out of what we have and even what we don't have it's at the heart of who we are how are we doing with what god has entrusted to us are we trusting it back to him this is why we choose the word courageous here to match up with generosity because courageous captures what is going on it captures this idea of all out trust that this woman has in god and what god is asking us for as well to throw ourselves on him in trust. And that takes courage and that takes strength to do something like that. There are a couple of other things here that really stand out that, that we maybe just pass over as we, we think are kind of just, you know, details to richen the story up a little bit. Um, or, or maybe they're, they're placed in there to play on our compassion a little bit, but these are not random details and they're not just decorative description to make the story more compelling. These are important descriptions that give us a window into the cultural significance of what's going on in this moment. 
we're given two words to describe this woman. The first is that she is a widow. The first is that she is a widow. What that means in this culture, obviously it means that her husband has died. And what that means in this culture is that her entire system of support has collapsed. Okay? As a woman in this culture, um, and it's maybe even hard for us to, to grasp this idea, but the fact is, as a woman in this culture, in this time, you were provided for by the most significant man in your life. So if that was your father, or then when you got married, that becomes your husband. Right? But this woman, that system has collapsed for her. That system is gone. There, the support is gone for her. She has no one to provide for her. It, it gives us even a greater glimpse into, into her act of trust, that she believes God will take care of her, even though no one else is around anymore to do that. There's a, there's a beautiful thing, though, about this culture and about this time. And it's this, God cares all the way throughout the scripture. God cares for the people that the system has collapsed on. God cares for those people and, and, and not just in a theoretical sense, but he works it out in specific ways of how the community is to take care of the people whose fathers are no longer around or who, whose husbands are no longer around. And all throughout scripture, you see God giving these commands based on taking care of the widow and the orphan, to make sure that no one falls through the cracks. And it's not just a command that he's like, hey, take care of them. He gives specific ways that this is to happen. And the responsibility falls on the entire community, but even more specifically on the religious structure. So the priests, the ones who are charged of taking care of the temple, the ones who are charged with administering worship, are also charged with taking care of the widows and the orphans. And where is this money supposed to come from? From the offerings, from the temple treasury. God says, take what is being given to me and use that to take care of the widows and the orphans. So that, that's what's going on here. We have a widow who is supposed to be taken care of by the religious system. But the second word of description that we're given tells us that the system has failed her miserably. Not only are we told she's a widow, but we're also told that she is poor. She is poor and she is putting into the offering the last little bit that she has to live on. And the religious system that is supposed to take care of her has overlooked her and has failed her. The institution that it's supposed to be a representation of the heart of God has failed her. What is her response? Instead of saying, they're supposed to be taking care of me and they're not going to, so I'm going to keep it because I'm never going to see it again if I give it away. I'm going to keep it because they're not taking care of me, so I'm going to take care of myself. No, no. She realizes that even though the institution that represents God has failed her, God will never fail her. And she sees through the veil and she sees God and she knows I will place my trust in him. Even if my trust has been broken by the people who are supposed to represent him, I will still trust in him. And in an act of courageous trust, 
she gives the last bit that she has to live on. This is what courageous generosity looks like. It's throwing all of our trust on God and believing that he will take care of us. And when he asks us to do something, that we can respond knowing that he has our back and he will take care of us and we will trust him in that. So what does that mean for us? What does it look like for us as a church to live out this idea of courageous generosity? What does it look like for us? Several ways that we can go about practicing this, okay? The first way that we're going to talk about, we're just going to go ahead and get it out of the way, all right? Because you know and you're afraid that it might be coming right now. But we're going to go ahead and just hit it head on and, and, and talk about this, okay? One way for us to practice courageous generosity is to show generosity towards the church, okay? And that is to practice the idea of tithing. Tithing, what, what that is, is that we give the first 10%. The first 10%, we give it back to God, okay? This is a sign of our gratitude and a sign uh, that we understand that every good thing that comes to us is a gift from God. And so from our hearts, out of gratitude, we give this back to him. We give this back to him. And let me just say this. Far too often, the church, some people in the church, some representatives of God have mistreated people, have manipulated people, and used money to do it. And because of that, so many times the church in general gets painted with this sad stain of this idea that they are just out for my money. Why do I want to go there? Every time I show up, it seems like they talk about money. If this is your first time ever being here, then I I understand. It's kind of weird right now, but that's all right. Okay, and it feels like every time we step into a church, all they talk about is money and how I owe it. And and, and they use scripture and they use different things to just pressure me into giving money. That's not what we are about here. That is not even beginning to be what we are about here at this church. Okay, we understand that and we are saddened that the church gets painted that way. Because it's not representative of the heart of God. We promise you we will do our best to represent him in in as faithful a way as we possibly can. But here's why we talk about money from time to time. We actually do it pretty rarely. But here's why we do. Because God is concerned with it. Jesus talks about it a lot through scripture. Not because he wants your money, but because he wants your heart. And Jesus understands that nothing is so tied up with our hearts. Nothing has such a power to grab a hold of our lives and take control of our lives as our resources, especially money. Right? And so often we end up making these major decisions in our lives based on how much money we are going to be able to squeeze out of it. And he understands that it's something that's so tempting for us to chase And that it becomes this thing in our lives that we are chasing after. And God wants for us to chase after him alone. That's why he talks about it a lot. God doesn't want your money. But God does want your heart. And that's why he addresses it. And the the practice of tithing is a way of saying it's, it's a beginning towards generosity. 
it begins to train us towards generosity in a way of us saying, from the very beginning, the first 10%, I will give it back to you to show gratitude and to remember, constantly remind myself that everything I have is a gift from you, and I will give that back. That's what that's about. Let me just say this, okay? We will never, ever pressure you with money, okay? We don't ever want to do that. If you feel like that's happening, please come and talk to me about that. We will never do that. We won't pressure you. We won't shame you. We won't guilt you. We will not manipulate you, okay? But we will challenge you and invite you to join us in the mission that God has called us to be a part. And if you feel like God is calling you to join us in that, then we invite that and we encourage that, okay? As a church, if we're going to talk about being generous to our people, then we want to display that first. We want to set the tone of that very first. And if we're ever going to mention anything about tithing and about 10%, then we want to model that as a church very first. And that's what we have done. Okay, Before any offering was ever taken up in the history of this church, before any red cent ever came our way as a church, we determined and we set it in our DNA that we would be a model of generosity as a church, that we would practice tithing as a church. And so we've determined 10%. We're going to model that, and we're going to give it away outside of the church, not in a way that benefits us, but in a way that is outside of us, that benefits the kingdom and furthers the kingdom in a way that will never benefit us, but will build the kingdom in other places. And so we've been able to support several different new churches that have started We've been able to support several different compassion ministries, even compassion organizations here in our own town, um, and, and just different ways like that that we've been able to, to give money away, even money that we seriously don't have, all right? There have been some tough, tough conversations that have gone on among the leadership of this church saying, listen, we made this commitment, but here's the reality of what we are looking at. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I want to tell you, I am proud to be on this team. I'm proud to be a part of this church because in each of those moments, the leadership of this church has said, we're going to stick to our commitment. We're going to believe that God is going to have our back and we're going to do it. And in doing that, we get to be the poor widow, all right, who doesn't, who has so little to give, but is able to give it with joy knowing that we can trust God with that. Okay, that's who we are as a church. That's who we are, and that's who we will promise to always be, and we ask you to hold us to that and keep us faithful to being that. Okay? That's one way. Uh, another way for us to give is, is to be compassionate in a one-on-one -on -one situation with people and to be generous with the things that we have. And when we come in contact with people who are in need, then we take action and we are generous with what we have. That's one of the things that is behind what we've been doing with Strangely Warmed. And you guys have blown us away with the generosity you've shown through that and just the way that things have poured in for people who are living on the street here in our town. 
and need sleeping bags and jackets and hats and socks and gloves and scarves. You guys have just poured out through that, and it's beautiful. One of you college students went home and told your home church about it, and they sent you back with an offering to help towards that. And I don't know, I can't even tell you how many people in our town have been able to have warm clothes because of that. A couple of weeks ago when we were doing Strangely Warmed, another one of you college students called your mom and said, listen, we're low on gloves and hats. Can you, can you go get some and bring them? And, and mom rolled up with like bags and bags from a Target shopping spree. It was awesome. And jackets and gloves and just, it was, it was beautiful to see. And that stuff got gone very fast, all right? But it was great. And I love it. It's beautiful to see that generosity pouring out of you and the fact that you are marked as people by your generosity. Now, here's the thing. One of the reasons we call it courageous generosity is because when God is asking us to do something, we have to have the courage to say yes, even when it seems crazy. But we also have to have the courage in certain situations that we come across, we have to have the courage and the wisdom to say no. Not when God is asking you to do it, by the way, all right? (laughs) But when someone is asking something that you know, you have that twinge of the spirit in your heart that you know that if you do this, it will make you feel better. It will soothe you in that moment that you were able to do something, but you know and you know and you know that if you give that, what you are actually doing is hurting the situation. You're making yourself feel better, but you're opening it up for someone else to stay locked, to stay a prisoner to something. In those moments, it's so easy to give and walk away feeling soothed, saying, ah, I did my part, but you didn't do your part. You didn't. There are times when you have to say, No, and that takes courage, and it's difficult. But that's what courageous generosity does, okay? The last piece that we'll talk about here as a way of expressing generosity is that we can embrace a lifestyle of simplicity. That we embrace a lifestyle of simplicity, that we take a step back and we look at our lives and we look at the reality of what we have been given And it's not that you don't have ambition to gain more, that we're not discouraging that, but we're just saying, listen, you live within the means of what you've been given. And you don't succumb to the temptation and the drive to just gain more, gain more, gain more in order to keep up with the world around you. Simplicity is this countercultural, subversive kind of move in a society that is consumed by consumerism and simplicity looks at what we have and we say I am grateful for what God has given me and it is all I need and so I will use the extra to help people who don't have all that they need we live in a culture that is in a race we've got to have what's next and new but simplicity is like a Sabbath rest in the middle of that Unless you just take a breath and say, I don't have to win this race. I don't have to win this race. 
And what it does is it makes room for generosity in our lives. It widens our margins in our lives so that we live on less and we can give more away to people who need it. Okay? One of our spiritual heroes around here is a man named John Wesley, a reformer in in England. And he said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That's a great way to live right there, okay? To, To look at what you have, to be honest about what you have, and to say, God, help me to live within these means, to be grateful for what you've given me, but to live simply so that others can have the things that they need. Beautiful thing. And it is a declaration to the world when we live that way, that what we own doesn't own us. What we own doesn't own us. Okay? So that's who we want to be as a church, to embrace this idea of courageous generosity, to look at the story of the woman who had nothing left to give but gave it anyway. She threw her trust on God and believed that God would take care of her. Now, here's the thing. We are not advocating irresponsibility with your finances, okay? And we are not asking you to be stupid with your finances. Don't do that, okay? But we are calling for you to be courageous. We are calling for you to be courageous and motivated by a deep trust in God and believe that he will take care of you. Don't be stupid, but be courageous, okay? Here's the thing. We have to manage our money. We have to manage our money. But be careful or your money will end up managing you. It will rule your life, and it is a tyrant when you give it that seat in your life. That's why you have to live in surrendered trust to God in this area of your life, or it will dictate every decision from here on out. It will dictate every decision. Don't give it that seat in your life. It cannot handle that spot in your life. Okay? You have to manage your money, but don't let it manage you. What you own doesn't own you. Doesn't own you. Okay? This is how we will live with courageous generosity. And as a church, we will ask God to take the little that we have to give and multiply it. And that he will revel in what we have as we give it from the bottom of our hearts, as we give it in trust, surrendered trust that has the courage to say, I believe God will take care of us. That's how we're going to live as leadership of your church. Hold us to that. Keep us faithful to that. We will trust that God will take care of us. Father, thank you for this stunning passage and this the life of this woman, this encouraging story. The woman who gave absolutely everything in an act of courageous trust. Help us to do that as well. God, help us to be good stewards of what you've given us, to not be stupid and to not be irresponsible, but to be courageous and to remember 
that as we are being good stewards, what that means is we recognize that it doesn't belong to us. A steward is someone who is entrusted with what belongs to someone else. And they're entrusted to take care of it. Help us to be good stewards of what you've given us and to remember all the way that it belongs to you. We pray that you would help us just to live in surrendered trust in this area of our lives. We pray that you would take control of this area of our lives. We know, we know how it can work its way into our soul. We know how it can dictate the dictate the the decisions that we make. Help us to make those decisions with a courageous kind of trust that you will take care of us. We love you. We thank you. And help us as a church to be marked by this. Amen.